Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hi, this is Lisa, and I have a new guest with me here today. It's Sam, and he is from the JLU podcast. Is that right? Did I say that right? Yeah, Justice League Universe podcast. Yep, we're JLU podcast on Twitter. Awesome. Okay, Sam, well, uh, what what movie are we talking about today? I... I'm normally talking about DC movies, so like that podcast, we focus on BVS and Wonder Woman and stuff, but I'm very happy right now to be talking about The Big Lebowski by the Coen brothers. Oh my gosh, I am so happy you picked this movie. Seriously, <laughs> I'm pretty shocked that with all our episodes, we haven't done one Coen brothers movie yet, so... Wow, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was waiting for someone to pick one. I mean, a lot of their work is like in my list of top favorite movies, they come up more than once. Uh, they're mm-hmm. definitely one of my favorite directors. So, um, as a team, yeah. Yeah. If you saw my collection of movies, it would be pretty clearly apparent what directors are my favorites. Cause I have like a whole Coen brothers section and then I have like a Hitchcock section, including like really old Hitchcock from when he was still in Britain. And mm-hmm. then I have a, a Kubrick section. Like those are my three big directors. And then Zack Snyder's like my more recent one that I really mm-hmm. like too. So, yeah, you know, I've noticed from uh, just chatting with you and um, some of the other DC-related podcasts on Twitter, there there is that connection there, I feel like, in terms of directors that they like. You know, yes. a, a lot of them bring up uh, specifically Kubrick a lot, uh, just visual directors, mm-hmm. I guess. And the Coen brothers, they have great dialogue um, because they write their own movies, but they also are very visual, and I think... I think that's the connection for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of director-minded kind of people that are fans of the DC movies, but the Coen brothers, they've really established a following for their movies. So they're kind of the directors that can kind of do anything they want, it seems like. Yeah, it seems seriously. If they have a, creati- a creative inspiration of something that they want to try out, it seems like the studio will be like, all right, we trust you guys, go for it, it's going to be great. Um, and so they've established that over, you know, like 30 years or something, but they've really got that creative, uh, they've got the clout. Yeah, for sure. So in terms of this movie, um, The Big Lebowski, when, when was the first time you saw this film? So I did not see it in theaters um, because I think it came out in 98 probably, but um, I was still in middle school at that time and mm-hmm. I we didn't go to the movies that much because we had to kind of drive up to a bigger town to be able to see movies. So I didn't really even know about it when it came out. But I think it was like 2000 or maybe 2001. So I was in high school at that point. Yeah, and same here. that's when uh, I saw the movie on VHS. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was recommended to me by my who I would call my cool aunt. Like I've got a lot of great aunts and uncles on both sides of my family, 
But this one particular aunt is like the cool one who would like when I was young, she would like slip me pop music or like bands that she thought I might like. And I thought it was cool because she was kind of giving me stuff that was a little bit older than -hmm. what I was. But it kind of pushed my horizons a little bit and stuff. And she's just a lot of fun, kind of, you know, like a youthful sort of aunt. And she mentioned it just in passing. She's like, oh, yeah, The Big Lebowski. I don't know how it came up. But she said, like, that movie is so funny. And I just remembered, like, oh, my aunt said that was a funny movie. I should, like, try to get it and see it. And so that was, like, what put me on it. I still remember that. I didn't get to watch it with her, though. Um, So I watched it with some friends from high school. And that's part of what made this a really special movie for me was because me and my friends all just really took to the movie. We just loved it right away. And we would watch it multiple times together. And then I would watch it myself, like, over and over again. So I think throughout the rest of high school, I watched it, like, I think I stopped counting at 15. I watched it at least 15 (laughs) 15 times. Some of them with friends, some of them by myself. And it became like we would quote it to each other. We would just like laugh about parts. We would try to recommend it to other people that we thought would like it. So it became just a touchstone for like me and my high school friends. You know, it's interesting you say that. And we'll kind of get into this, I think, when we talk more about the directors. But this movie, it really, really resonated with a younger crowd. I think more than some of the other Coen Brothers movies. Mm -hmm. I was watching a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. And they were talking about how... Specifically, Julianne Moore said she would walk down the street, and if the guys were in their, she said usually early 20s, they would go, hey, you're from the Big Lebowski, and she would be kind of surprised. Like, she didn't expect that the, you know, the audience for this movie would be such a young crowd, but it it really is, and Mm. I know when I saw this movie, I think it was right out of high school, so I know I graduated, I think, in 02, so... I'm going to say it was a couple years after that, and I was dating someone that was really obsessed with this movie. And, <laughs> <laughs> and at the first time, so much so, like, he, he wanted to, like, live the dude lifestyle. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So I was, kind of, I was kind of like, I don't understand all this, like, drinking white Russians and just really into the movie. And so it kind of took me a while to come back around and, and see what it is that he saw. And then another strange connection to the movie is my mother was a huge fan of it. And I, I wow. thought that was surprising because she, yeah. uh, a lot of the movies she likes are very serious. Like my movie going experience with her is, you know, we were here in Dallas. We have the uh, Angelica Theater and it's like, that's where all the, you know, um, fringe movies, like all the uh, independent films, very mm-hmm. serious, you know, movie yeah, show art, artsy films yeah and like that's what she likes and then she's like oh that's like my favorite movie and I was what <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of made me kind of go back to it you know and give it like I guess a second shot um and just really fell in love with it and yeah I I've I'm, I'm a convert and I really love this movie a lot now but I'm trying yeah. to remember I don't, I don't know when exactly I first saw it but I'm gonna say early 20s early 20s yeah. is probably when I saw it yeah I was solidly a teenager when I saw it. And it, it's interesting that I think you're right that it did appeal to like people who were teens or in the early 20s at the time that they saw it, which is interesting because I don't think there's any youthful characters except for Larry Sellers, like uh, who stole the, <laughs> yeah. and he doesn't even really have any lines, I don't think. So no. it's it's definitely these like middle aged men that are like getting into hijinks and stuff. But yeah, it does. I don't know. Me and my friends really connected with it for some reason. We did not. As far as I know, we did not idolize the dude and we didn't like <laughs> look up to him as a role model at all. Uh, we just <laughs> we just <laughs> really liked the humor of it and the interaction of the characters. Like 
they the Coen brothers came up with these really cool characters, but the to me the magic happens when you put them together and you're seeing how they interact with each other and react to each other. And to me, I just that's what I watch every time. I'm like, wow, it's so great how these characters rub each other the wrong way, um, but they also kind of love each other. And uh, between like the dude and Walter, there's all these interesting dynamics between the characters. So that's what I think probably brings me back to it the most. Yeah, I think I think for me it's probably. I'm just touching on what you said. It's the characters and the dialogue. I mean, and mm-hmm. and the fact that on top of that, it's like got some really great visual moments too. It kind of has oh, yeah. everything that I would look for in a movie that I would elevate to from just liking to loving. Um, because that's kind of, you know, it's hard to put all three of those elements together. I think, and this movie does that in such a good way. Yeah. It feels I think you're right. natural. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, this is, like, the funniest movie. Like, this is my favorite movie, and it has been for 15 years or whatever. But uh, I think what puts it up there so high is that you're right. The humor and the quality of the movie comes from a lot of different angles. Like, it has the characters. It has the dialogue. You're totally right. But then it has, like, humor from the editing, and it has humor from, like, visual gags and stuff. Mm -hmm, So it's like they they were firing on all cylinders, and to me, like as I watched it more and more, I would pick up on things that I hadn't even noticed the first five times I watched it, but then I started noticing it. Um, so when we talk about some of the scenes and stuff, I can bring them up as examples, but it's really one of these, it's one of the rare comedies that uses all aspects of filmmaking Mm -hmm. to bring humor and bring life into the movie, you know, not just improvisation or not just uh, dialogue or, you know, not just sight gags. It's literally all of it together, plus editing, plus cinematography is even funny, if that's possible. <laughs> yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. Um, I guess I will transition a little bit just into talking about a couple of quick facts. And you, if you have like a okay. couple that you want to throw out too, definitely jump in. Okay. Um, so for this movie, I was reading that a lot of the dude's clothes, so a lot of Jeff Bridges' clothes, were his actual clothes. So like including his jelly sandals, his his wardrobe was just something he already owned. <laughs> and I <laughs> <Wow>. love that. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. Yeah. I do another thing I remember seeing somewhere between like Jeff Bridges and the Coen brothers. I think the Coen brothers said that they didn't have to direct Jeff Bridges very much, that he seemed mm-hmm. to really have like a handle on the character. But they said that Jeff Bridges would ask the Coen brothers before a scene he would ask him, did the dude burn a doobie on the way to this scene? And if the Coen brothers said, yeah, he probably did on the way to this scene, then Jeff Bridges would like rub his fists in his eyes and then go do the scene. I and if they said, if, no, he didn't, do, he didn't this time, then he would just go do the street scene more straight. So that's funny. But they said Jeff Bridges basically like had a handle on that character from just reading the script. Oh, for sure. And I think, it, I think uh, one of the things I love about this movie is just how much Jeff Bridges genuinely seems to enjoy the character. You know, even mm-hmm. now I feel that, you know, he would be ready if they were to do like <laughs> another one. He would be like, okay, that's fine. Like, it's just so him in a way yeah. that he's completely okay with it. Like, I think he even told the Coen brothers, did you know me in high school or something? Like, how did you come <laughs> up with this? So I wow. really love that. Um, that's cool. We'll probably talk a lot about the repetitive, you know, there's some lines that are repeated and, oh yeah, you know, there's a lot of repetition in this movie, but so much so that the word man, you know, hey man, <laughs> is uttered 147 times. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> so man, like and each character says it a little bit differently too. Like Walter kind of goes high for it sometimes, like man, and it's, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Um, did you know that there's a religious movement based on this movie called the Church of Latter-day Dudes? 
I've heard of something like that. Yeah, I've heard of parts of it. Yeah. But, <laughs> so yeah. Do this, they meet? Do they worship at bowling alleys or? You know, I mean, perhaps. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yep. Um, did you have any quick little tidbits before we get started? Um, so I think so. Like the dude towards the end mentions that he was one of the Seattle Seven who like wrote the Port Huron statement. So like I think that's Port Huron, Michigan, and I'm from Michigan, although oh, I'm from cool. the upper, the Upper Peninsula. But I think that that is kind of like semi-true. Like there is a dude that they that the Coen brothers based the character on. So it's not based mm-hmm. on Jeff Bridges. It's based on this other guy that they know. And I think that that guy, people could find it online. I can't remember his name. Dowd, maybe. But uh, I think he actually was part of the Seattle 7. So like that was kind of like a true thing oh. that they slipped slipped in there. And the Seattle 7, I think, was a real thing that did write this like statement. But of course, it's like not really... It wasn't groundbreaking or historical, really, but I think you can you can find info about it online. Oh, that's pretty cool. And I think I like you can that. find some pictures of the real guy. Like the real yeah. guy knows and he knows that it was based on him, and the Coen brothers are like friends with him. Oh yeah, and he kind of loves it. Um, the way that they the Coen brothers talked about him in some of the behind the scenes, I would have almost thought that he was a little bit insulted. Like they even talk about his weight <laughs> and just him being yeah just how he is, but he shows up. I think at some of the uh, Big Lebowski meetups or conventions. I saw some footage of, of a festival and he, he came and he was, he seemed like he was really enjoying it. So he's kind of maybe come around to embracing it at least. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. cool. Okay. Well, uh, I guess let's transition into just talking about the Coen brothers as directors and just, just spend a little bit of time kind of just discussing them. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, like I said earlier, I completely agree with you. They are, I, I would put them at least in my top 10, if not my top five uh, of all time. Right up yeah. there with, for me, it would probably be Kubrick, like you mentioned, uh, love Paul Thomas Anderson, Aronofsky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I would put the Coen brothers up there with them. So. Yeah, they just sure. have, they've done different, like you can kind of tell a Coen brothers movie is a Coen brothers movie. To me, the way I can tell is sometimes by the dialogue and mm-hmm. a lot of times by the secondary or the bit characters because like the Coen brothers have such interesting, cool characters that would be throwaway in other movies. Yes. But in the in the Coen brothers movies, it's like their face and the way they were directed and the way they do their lines and stuff. It's like, wow, that's the Coen brothers movie. But they've done totally different genres, you know, like they've done No Country for Old Men. Oh, and then and then they've done like <laughs> several comedies and then like they've done, you know, Hail Caesar recently. That's like a parody of different film styles and stuff or a satire of it and uh, and straight up comedies. And then they've done, you know, like Inside Lewin Davis or whatever. That's like a music kind of bio, you know, feels like a biographical drama kind of feel. So to me, they're just they it seems like they like to stretch their creative muscles. And yet they always have that stamp of being a Coen Brothers movie. Totally agree. Um I p- I've got down here, so it's Joel and Ethan Cohen, and that Joel used to actually direct on his own and have sole credit, but he always had his brother on set, and so I think it like maybe one or two movies in, he switched over to having both their names on there, mm-hmm. and uh, and actually even went back and added his brother's name to some of the earlier movies, which I don't think since I hadn't been following their career that long, yeah. I didn't realize that, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I think they've been like partners all along, like you said. And I think at first it was like Ethan would be a producer and Joel would be director, but really they kind of worked together on the whole thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so now they're just kind of represented that more accurately by just saying that they're more like co-directors. Right. But yeah, I think they, they write together, you know, do everything together. And I have three brothers myself and we've done a few like, you know, fun short films just around our house and in town and stuff. And so to me, it was also cool to just think like, oh, wow, these brothers have like worked together for a long time and bounced creative ideas off each other. And to me, that was like appealing, thinking about stuff I've done with my own brothers. Oh, for sure. And I know I was watching the behind the scenes and they were asking the actors if they ever disagreed. And Jeff Bridges, he told the story of them disagreeing one time. And it was like (laughs) very, very relaxed. Like one of them said, no, I think we should do this. And the other brother went, okay. And that was it. Like there's, they get along so well that uh, they just kind of work well together and never really have any conflict, which must be really nice. And I think, I don't know, I just really think that's interesting because you don't yeah. really see that a lot. Maybe right. the uh, Wachowski siblings. Right. But that's it. Yeah. That's that was, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely would have to mention Fargo. That was, you know, their big, big oh, I love one. Fargo. Um, yeah. That's a great movie. Very good um, movie. But even some of the earlier stuff, like, so I watched Raising Arizona when I was younger, and I thought it was kind of weird, and I didn't really get it. But I watched it again recently with my wife, and we, like, loved it. So I'm like, oh, even the movies that I thought were not that great, when I revisit them, they're actually really clever, or they have a lot of really cool style to it as well. So, yeah, I kind of like their whole catalog. Um, it's, it's all just really good stuff. Oh, Brother, for, oh, oh Brother, We're Out Thou is a lot of people's favorite. Oh, yeah. Uh, that one's a really good one, too. Well, Raising Arizona, I, I forgot that was Coen Brothers, but that's yeah. probably one of my favorite comedies ever. I, I really like that movie. I remember watching that movie as a kid and really liking it. Um, yeah, it took me a while, but I, I really like it now. Yeah, that was, um, I think I think that's Edgar Wright's favorite movie. Oh, really? Yeah, I recorded an episode last week that I'm going to release this week. So actually, this episode will end up being one week behind because I'm a uh-huh. little backlogged right now. But uh-huh. last week I recorded an episode on Scott Pilgrim, so we were talking about Edgar Wright, and he said, uh, you know, that's his favorite movie, which you can wow, kind of cool. see that influence in his films a little bit. So that's I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Um, well, you know, the, the Coen brothers, they don't just direct, they write, they produce, like you said, and they even edit their films. That's something right. that I didn't realize until I was uh, researching this, that they credit Roderick Janes on a lot of yeah. their films, but it's actually just them <laughs> yeah yeah I think yeah that's, that's really cool and i think that the editing is pretty big like i can see why they want to edit their own films because mm-hmm. to me the editing is really part of the craft that they're doing so they don't want to hand it over to anybody else i think yeah and uh i also read that the cohen films most of them they don't really deviate much from the script like i was noticing in the behind the scenes they were asking john goodman and jeff bridges you know, was that improv? And they kept saying, actually, no. Uh, yeah. A lot of times when you were, when you uh, do a Coen Brothers movie, you'll try to ad-lib a scene and they'll correct you and say, that was good. Can you stick to the script? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and it's like, that's pretty amazing because the, the dialogue does feel very natural and conversational, almost like a, a Tarantino film a yeah. little bit. And so I thought that was pretty interesting. I would have assumed that they were ad-libbing had I not yeah. said that. Right. Yeah, I saw that and I was mistaken, like, because I watched this movie several times and I swore some of the scenes were improv, like, you know, oh, Donnie's going to come in here and Walter's going to shoot him down and then they're going to react like this. And and it seemed like stuff was off the cuff. And and also they're like kind of stuttering and like kind of taking a while to spit the line out sometimes, like the dude will just be stammering around for a while. 
So I really thought it was improv. And then I saw that same thing that you were referring to. And I was just like, wow, like the Coen brothers, that's how far they were into the characters. They even had the stammering and the, the crosstalk and stuff was written into the script. And then at some point I saw even some pages of the script and like, it is all written in there. Like the crosstalk wow. is liter literally written in like, Donnie will try to talk over you and then you will like respond like this. So. Well, I mean, this, this movie is full of such great actors that, I mean, they, they just took the script, I think, and were able to put their own spin on it while sticking to it, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, great job by all of them. Yeah. Um, I know the Coen brothers are also pretty big Kubrick fans, so I guess there's a crossover there again. But oh, that's I had interesting. That. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that kind of speaks to their visual style that you were talking about earlier a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the um, Roger Deakins is usually their cinematographer, mm -hmm. uh, and he, I think, helps to bring that visual style too. And I think they work well together, and that's why they keep using him again. But I guess he's, you know, like, I don't know a ton about DP stuff, but I guess he's, like, really well-respected in the field as a cinematographer. Yeah, me neither. But um, you can definitely see a connection in all their films. It does look really consistent, and it's very visual. So, yeah, I agree. Um, I, I skipped over the uh, the synopsis here a little bit, so let me backtrack just a second, and I will read the synopsis. It's very short. So, here it is. The Big Lebowski. The dude, Lebowski, is mistaken for millionaire Lebowski. He seeks restitution for his ruined rug and enlists in his bowling buddies to help him get it back. The end. <laughs> very succinct. We'll get more into that, but very succinct. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting, like, the plot gets so convoluted, but, like, if you kind of realize that that's the point, is for the plot to get convoluted and to watch these characters who are not equipped for it at all mm -hmm. get in over their heads and just have their simple plans go totally haywire and um, go into these situations of people that are totally kind of outranking them in terms of society, like, that's kind of the point. Mm -hmm. I, I know some people who watch the movie and just say, like, well, it got so complicated and, like, I couldn't keep track of who everybody was or whatever. But I think once you realize that's part of the fun of the movie and it's part of the point of the movie about how it, it reveals something about the characters to mm -hmm. put them through this ringer, um, then I think you can go with it. And it actually all does make sense. Like upon repeated, repeated viewings, who everybody is all makes sense all the way along. But on first viewing, it does a lot of it hits you. And if you think like, I'm supposed to keep track of all this. Uh, you can kind of miss the point. I think the more of the point is to just go with the craziness of it and watch these characters try to deal with it and kind of fail miserably at times. Yeah, so. I completely agree. I think the the plot is very simple. You know, basically Jeff Bridges is mistaken for a millionaire. Somebody breaks into his house or his apartment, destroys his rug. He goes back to confront the millionaire and it just gets out of control from there. Mm -hmm. And you kind of, by the end of the movie, forget that that's even what set this in motion like by the end of the movie it becomes oh, yeah. like a different film but what i really like about it is you know the coen brothers like you said earlier they base this on a real person and i imagine that when they were discussing how this movie was going to go what it was going to be about that they probably said something to the effect of wouldn't it be really funny if this guy that we know that is kind of a burnout that kind of has no direction he's lazy what if he was put in a situation where he had to be active and mm -hmm. responsive and, and do, you know, two big situations that he wouldn't normally be a part of. And how would he do that? <laughs> and like, I feel that all the characters in the movie are kind of mismatched for the situation. 
Um, yeah. You would expect this to be about, I don't know, some gangsters or, you know, some, you know what I mean? Someone more on par with the rest of the characters. Yeah, or a, pri- a private investigator or something. Right. And they even nod to that in the movie. Um, yeah. And instead, it's just this this hippie, you know. And so I think, <laughs> like you said, I think a lot of it is just situational. And it just kind of, I guess, gets the ball rolling from there and kind of goes out of control. And you have to just sort of enjoy the ride. But mm-hmm. one great thing about the movie, as you said, is that if you go back and rewatch it, you'll just pick mm-hmm. up more and more and more. And it does all connect. It does all make sense. Yeah. And that's what blew my mind upon rewatching it and rewatching it was like how everything really worked out and then start noticing things like the repetitions and actually being able to follow the thread all the way through. Um, it really rewards rewatching on a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. I actually had a coworker that uh, I came over to his desk to tell him something one day and I saw that he had like a Lebowski screensaver and mm-hmm. I went, Oh, I like that movie. He was like, you do. And I was like, yeah. And then he got kind of quiet and I was like, uh, going on and he was like it's my favorite movie and then it turned out he had made this pdf of every line that was repeated more than once oh wow (laughs) and and like he sent it to me and i read it it was great it was i think it was way before i started the podcast but i think it was one of the things that i was like i would love to have to talk to someone that really likes this movie as much as this guy Mm -hmm. does and Mm -hmm. sort of just go through it but he was explaining to me that you know the repetition of the lines you think that it's the same character saying the same line, but it isn't. It's usually yeah. another character repeating the same line. And I thought that yeah. was interesting. And Oh yeah. So just, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't have the full PDF, but I definitely like <laughs> just know of some that are repeated by multiple characters. And the one thing I noticed pretty early on, but it's really cool to watch for is like the dude is introduced as this lazy character, you know, in a, in a lazy time. And to me, part of his laziness is that he steals other people's lines. Yeah. So in a sense, he like he doesn't even think for himself. He he's too lazy to even think of his own way of saying things. Mm-hmm. So like yep. some of the ones some of the ones that he definitely lifts is right from the beginning. The TV has uh, President Bush, the first Bush, <laughs> and he says this aggression will not stand. Speaking about Iraq, and then later the dude is like this aggression will not stand, man. I know, uh, that's brilliant. Like one of my favorites. <laughs> but he's got like, uh, she owes money all over town or in the parlance of our times. Yeah. Or like, uh, her life was in our hands. Like, those lines, he's just cribbing those from other people. I don't know if he's even aware that he's doing it, but like, and maybe he's just lost brain cells or maybe he's just lazy. But like, to me, those are the funniest ones are when he is stealing it from other people. But then there are a lot of other lines that are repeated by multiple people, you know, or by the same person over and over again. So it's not just the dude, but my favorites are the ones where the dude is just like stealing other people's phrasing. I completely agree. And, you know, they, they talk about uh, comedy and like the law of threes and, you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of repetition when it comes to comedy. So I think, I mean, it's perfect to have something like that in this kind of movie because... You know, comedy is timing and it's repetition. So I think it's I think it's perfect. Yeah, um, and some of them are definitely meant to be laugh lines, like um, coitus, <laughs> like <yeah>. that one. <laughs> that one is a very quick repetition, but it's definitely done for a comedy beat right there. Yeah. Well, let's talk and a little th- bit about the man himself then, uh, Jeff Bridges. Yeah. yeah. Let's go into him. So I I read one little fact that I read about him is that he turned down the role of Snake Plissken in Escape from New York, which I thought was pretty funny. 
because I hmm. could totally see him uh, mm-hmm. over Kurt Russell in Escape from New York. Like, right? I, I've thought that before. I'm like, they're very similar. They have similar acting styles, especially some of their earlier movies. I'd kind of want to see that movie. I kind of want to see Escape from New York with the dude in it. You know, <laughs> like I, I would be into that. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. That could work. Also, He's pretty good overall. Like, he is. like. I've liked him in other stuff for sure, but to me, this one is the one where he just really like sunk into the role, and it was just perfect casting, like you said earlier. Uh, and to me, it's also like a perfect introduction to the character mm-hmm. because Sam Elliott and his voice is oh gosh, like yes. narrating the beginning of the movie, and then he starts talking about the dude, and you know, he's the man for his times, for his place and time, or whatever. And then you know, the camera is slowly coming in this Ralph's, which again is like a repetition because Ralph's is how they also end the movie. Yeah. yeah. But uh, with, or at least, you know, with the coffee can, but he's, he walks around the corner and he's got his like robe on and he's just like shuffling. And then he goes up and sniffs the milk and then he pays for it with a check. And like, to me, I'm like, wow, this is like a, just a genius other level introduction of a character. I was like hooked from the beginning. For sure. Yeah. You know, what's funny about Jeff Bridges, though, is that he does roles like this, and you kind of forget all the movies that he's been in, and he really does have a lot of range as an actor. For an actor that you think would be sort of, I guess, typecast, I mean, he's been nominated for sev- seven times for an Oscar, and he's won wow. once. Wow. Yeah. I and didn't he, realize it was that many. Yeah, and he's won once for uh, Crazy Heart. Uh-huh. Did you see that movie? Have you seen it? Yep. Yep, yep, I've seen I that one. That That's movie. pretty good. Yeah, but he won an Oscar for Best Actor, so you know he he's pretty versatile. But I think you know that's the thing about comedy. It's like sometimes it can sort of get, I think, a little looked over in terms of uh, comparing it to like a drama. You know, a lot of times dramas win Oscars, right? But mm-hmm. it takes, I think, a lot of acting talent to to be funny. And so, yeah. you know, he's just one of those actors that can they can do both. He can both be really funny or he can be serious like in Crazy Heart or in True Grit. Or yeah, he, True Grit, another Coen Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. Or he can be fun like in Tron. So it's yeah. kind of like he, for his acting style, again, I, I think you would assume, okay, he's going to end up doing this kind of role. Like after The Big Lebowski, you, you would kind of imagine that that's what he's going to end up doing. But he's done so many different things, and he's just, he's crazy talented. He's yeah, a great musician. I agree. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, and now, with John Goodman, who plays Walter, who's like, to me, is the other one that carries, like, the movie. Oh, for sure. To me, John Goodman is not as good of an actor as Jeff Bridges is, but for this part, I thought John Goodman just nailed it. Like, his Vietnam stuff, the way oh that he gosh, would shut yes. down Donnie. His, like, overconfidence about how he was going to handle any situation, but then Walter is really, like, the one who kind of has the worst ideas or messes things up even more. Yeah. Um, so, like, for me, this was, like, John Goodman's pinnacle of his achievement. And he's been in some other really good movies, and he does fine, but, like, I think this was just where it, he could really shine in the part. I completely agree. Uh, I feel every actor in this movie, even though they're doing such big characters, they almost a little bit seem like someone you know. Like, I feel like I've met Walter at least, you know? <laughs> like, I feel like he seems very <laughs> real. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he, he is such a funny person. Obviously, a lot of people know him from Roseanne, uh, but he also hosted, he's hosted SNL 11 times, which I think is kind of crazy. Yeah. I'm a, actually a pretty wow. big SNL fan, so I watch that show a lot. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I was surprised That's to cool. read 11 times so far anyway. 
Um, mm -hmm. I really liked his performance in The Artist. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I for always forget that he was in Monsters, Inc., <laughs> the main character. Uh, and right, right. The other Coen Brothers movie he was in, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Love that movie. He too. is really good in that one, too. I, yeah. yeah, he was did a very good Cyclops. He was really good, but I completely agree with you. I think this is his best role, and even he himself has said that, that it's like his favorite movie that he's ever done. So you can well, definitely yeah, see it. Yeah, he's got, right, he's got, you know, the nom thing makes it kind of iconic, and then he's like, cares so much about bowling. Like, there's mm -hmm. the scene where, like, the dude is finally fed up with all of Walter's like bad ideas and stuff. And he tells Walter to F off. And then he tells him like to F the bowling tournament too. And after that, Walter's like F the tournament. Like he doesn't yeah. even care that he got cussed out. He, he's just concerned about the tournament. And, he, and then he like leaves the bar to cool down or whatever. So that's uh, just, he's so concerned about that, that team. It's like, and, and then he's got his like, ex-wife thing that is just off screen like you know he yes. refers to his ex-wife and you, you can kind of tell that he's still kind of like manipulated and under the heel of his ex-wife but you yes. never actually see the ex-wife so i thought that was like a cool angle on it too well even he converts to judaism for her and yet they're not even <laughs> together anymore and he's still practicing like religiously it's pretty funny but also that uh yeah 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 i i completely agree with you i also like the part where uh I think I can't remember if it's the same scene with the F off scene, but he's he's kind of arguing with uh, Jeff Bridges, and then he goes, "Well, okay, but am I going to see you for at bowling practice tomorrow?" <laughs> he's like, "Yeah." Yep. <laughs> it's like no matter yeah, how. That, just, it's yeah. a, that one's when they're on the phone. Yeah, <laughs> oh, like they're yeah, on yeah. the phone, and yeah, he's totally he, like the dude is telling him like, "I just want to do this on my own. Like, I don't want you to, to do this anymore." So he's kind of like breaking up with Walter. But then at the end, it's like, yeah, I'll still be at the turn. I'll still be at the bowling alley <laughs> with you. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel even though all the characters are much older, it does in a weird way remind me of the dynamic that I had between my friends in my early twenties. I think right before you like leave home and right before you get a real job and you've got all this extra free time and I don't know. For me, it it kind of reminds me of that time a little bit. So I don't know if that's the connection yeah. for young people, but. Oh, no, yeah, and I was going to agree, like, uh, I think having, like, the Donnie character, I think, for me, that resonates, and I think for other groups of friends, they kind of made it more of a caricature of it, but I think this element of, like, the friend who is kind of, like, the one who's a little slower on the uptake, and then who the other friends, like, kind of pick on, or, like, push him down, or, you know, mm -hmm. he's kind of the uh, whipping post, the whipping post, he's still a part of the group, like, you know, but he's, like, the beta male or the one who just can get kicked around and that was totally donnie in here mm -hmm. um and i you know we we had a friend like that where not that extreme but we had the friend who was kind of like oh maybe we shouldn't have teased him as much as we did like in high school but we still loved him and like he was still totally part of the group yeah and i remember being in you know certain hobbies and stuff with friends and getting into arguments like this that i think like as you get older you don't really have anymore that would be we'd get so mad at each other and be like, well, are you going to go to the mall tomorrow and hang out? Yeah, OK, you know, it, so I just kind of mm -hmm. I don't know, their whole dynamic to me feels very familiar, at least from that time when I just didn't have a lot going on. And I had two or three friends that I hung out with all the time. It just kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Yeah. And then I mean, too, like if if a character like Jesus Quintana, like walks up and does something kind of outrageous 
then when he walks away, you and your friends would sort of like comment, like, have you heard this thing about him? Or like, he's cracking, you know, like to me, that also, it kind of shows you their group of friends because you hear them and how they talk about this other kind of weird pedophile character as well. Or, you know, or, or the group of friends is trying to like decide what to do next. Like to me, that is the kind of things that group of friends would do together. For sure. It's interesting, this movie, for having all these kind of, I guess, dark things happen, it's a comedy. And it's also, like you had touched on earlier, it's very, I guess, loving between all the friends. Um, it, it, it ends up being like kind of positive, which, you know, there would be a different way to direct this movie where it's not funny. And it's, you know what I mean? Like a lot of serious mm-hmm. things are happening to the characters people are being kidnapped or pretending to be kidnapped uh people coming into your apartment and roughing you up but it plays so i think light for what it is it's like you almost forget that all that stuff happened (laughs) yeah Um, and they're um the dude and walter are kind of like an old married couple for sure in the their interactions with each other but the way for it to work as a comedy is you have to know that the married couple is not actually going to get divorced and they don't actually hate each other you have to know that when they like give each other a hard time or when they yell at each other, um, you have you know, like, oh, would you cool it off? Would you cool it? Like those kinds of things. You have to know that it's based on an actual love and that they're still going to stay together. And if you know that, then you can laugh along right. with the situation. And I think that they totally pulled that off. Like I totally believe it that like the dude and Walter were never going to break up. Mm-hmm. They were they were in it together all the way through. And so that means we can laugh along the way. Totally agree. Well, let's talk a little bit about Donnie next, Steve Buscemi. Yeah. He is yeah. one of my favorite actors, seriously. He is in so mm-hmm. many great movies, and he's had a long career in t- TV and cinema. And he's one of those actors that was kind of always a character actor that's sort of crossed over into lead actor now. Um, but mm-hmm. he's been in six Coen Brothers movies. Yeah. I mean, Yeah, he's, he's just, one of their favorites for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think I think I heard you might have seen this too. Like I think I heard that there was kind of a dynamic between the Coen Brothers and Steve Buscemi about um, going from Fargo to then this movie a few years later. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they were saying like how in Fargo they made his character just talking all the time, and even when his like face is shot, he's still trying to talk and just go a mile a minute. Mm-hmm. And then he gets killed, and so the Coen Brothers I think they thought it was funny to have Donnie and make him like never be able to get an, a word in edgewise. Yes. Uh, and still kill him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think <laughs> it I was almost the- just like an, an inside joke amongst themselves. Like, Hey Steve, we got a new part for you. It's like, it's the opposite of your other character, but we're still going to kill you at the end. <laughs> yeah. I read that they've killed him in three movies and he's been in six movies. So <laughs> it's like they've killed him three times. And I think <laughs> they were saying like his deaths were getting progressively, more gruesome until this one. This one was, you know. Yeah. But, you know, even though it's funny, I get so sad when Donnie dies in this movie. I get so sad. I do. Yeah, I do too. And and they like, so they put the foreshadowing in of him on his last time he bowls, mm-hmm. he does not get a strike. And that's the only ah. time that he didn't get a strike. And when, and they even like do a close up on it, like the pin does not fall over and then they go to a close-up on his face and he's like not sure what just happened you're right and yeah. that's like this for this foreshadowing that like oh doom is like around the corner for his character uh but yeah no i i mean to me it is sad like the the death scene and there's like this moment of seriousness where mm-hmm. like you know the dude goes in to call you know an ambulance and the walter's there with them 
and telling them like you're going to be okay that they're choppering in help or whatever but like it's not funny it's like it's actually sad and then the eulogy is like the eulogy gets me really good on yep. you know looking the over, overlooking the ocean with the ashes because it's actually sad and you're seeing these characters who you like have loved through this whole movie and you miss Donnie and then through your sadness you do just like you can't help it but like crack up and laugh at the ashes yes but it's like <laughs> but like a, a good director knows how to like catch you when you're sad and then hit you with something funny because you're kind of uh, you're exposed in your emotions and so then you can laugh um, so yeah it, it's part of what I, why I love this movie because it does have those touching kind of things too but then they bring this really great visual moment with the ash blowing right back in the dude's face. For sure. And I guess one funny thing about his death, though, is that once again, it was Walter's fault that it even happened. Right? Because yeah. I mean, they should have just walked away. It was all over. And instead, he confronts them and he, he acts like he's going to protect Donnie specifically at one point. But then Donnie dies from a heart attack. It's just, yeah, you know, know. it's like it, it's like it's it's very funny at the same time that it's sad, which, like you said, is a really delicate balance. Yeah. You can watch this movie so many times, and like one thing you can do when you watch the movie is you could keep track of how many times Walter is overconfident in something, and then it goes wrong because there's mm-hmm. quite a few. And this is one where he's like so confident that he can take the Nihilus at the end, and he does win the fight, but he does not protect Donnie, like he said. So even that one is actually a fail for Walter. Yep, yep, yep. Poor Walter, and he doesn't ever really recognize it though. He never really. Like, oh. N- no, not at all. <laughs> Even at the uh, the eulogy scene, I, I feel like it's on the tip of Jeff Bridges' tongue to say, you kind of killed Donnie in a way. <laughs> he doesn't go there completely, <laughs> and it's funny. Yeah. But it's like, it, it never dawns on Walter. He just turns around and says, I'm really sorry, man. I'm sorry. And then you just feel bad yep. for him, because he didn't, he didn't mean for it to happen. Yeah. But uh, those three, those three are those three are great. And like, even if it was just those three characters, that would be a really good movie. But then yeah. there's all these like side characters that are just awesome. Like I mentioned, Jesus Quintana. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like, Maude is great, and it, she only has a little bit of screen time. And the thing that, she, like, the way that she does that character just like blows my mind. So that's another really good one. Oh yeah. There's there's a ton of these side characters I could go on forever, but. Oh, no. I mean, same here. I love Julianne Moore. This is one of the few, I guess, uh, podcasts where almost every main actor I I just have so much to say about because they're actors that I really enjoy. I I love Julianne Moore. And, you know, she got a Best Actress uh, Oscar pretty recently for the role Still Alice. And she was also in Boogie Nights, Magnolia, and Children of Men, which I would put those three movies kind of Mm -hmm. on my list of favorites. Uh, And more recently, Mm -hmm. she was in those Hunger Games movies, uh, The the Mockingjay Part 1 and 2. She's going to be in Kingsman, The the Golden Circle, coming up. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and so uh, she's, she's had such a long career, and I've always really appreciated her. And in this movie, she has a pretty small role, but she does so much with it. And mm-hmm. I noticed when a lot of the actors were talking about this movie and sort of the impact that it had, it was like a 10 years later look back. She was one of the actors that she kept saying, you know, I thought the movie was great right when it first came out. I remember the the critics not liking it as much. And she said she really mm-hmm. enjoyed it and thought it was really funny. 
And so I don't know. I just kind of noticed she had that energy in the uh, in the interviews, almost like she, in a way, got it a little bit more than some of the other actors. I know mm-hmm. even the Coen brothers have mentioned they're not sure why this movie is such a phenomenon, but um, but yeah, I, I I really liked her in this film. I thought all her lines were really funny, and I guess I didn't notice from watching this movie so many times when I was watching it uh, on Saturday. I think it was. Um, she and the the dude, their relationship is so interesting to me. I feel like his dreams about her uh, in the movie sort of implies that he mm-hmm. like, that he loves her almost, but he's so lazy that mm-hmm. that, that never kind of actually comes up. Um, and you yeah. only find out in the end that she's you know she's pregnant. But I thought that was yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he might have some actual feelings for her, but he's so lazy that he's not going to do anything about it. Like, uh, he would have never made any kind of move, and it's only because she literally just shows up in his house and, like, offers herself. That's how lazy he is. Like, he needs that to happen for him to actually, like, make any kind of move. I love the part where she says uh, it increases the chances of conception, and he, like, spits his drink out. Like, (laughs) I feel like for a guy like him, that's his ultimate fear is becoming a dad. (laughs) So I love that part. Yeah. Well, and it's great, too, like, and you have all the setups of the White Russians, and then to have a spit take, just a classic spit take right towards camera of this White Russian drink. So it's not just a random drink. It's, like, this one that we have associated with the character the whole way along. And, like, I love how they edited and, like, framed that shot, too. Like, he's he's kind of in the distance, and then you can see, like, the full spit towards the camera. Mm -hmm. And he did a good job projecting it. And, like, the spit take is just kind of this, you know trope from you know movies and, and tv and ancient stuff but i can just see the coen brothers like we're gonna have a spit take scene like we, yeah. we've got it all set up it's gonna be right in this moment and it's gonna be a perfect spit take for the dude that's funny that you say that i never thought about that before but you're absolutely right i mean spit takes are usually something that you kind of groan when you see them but this <laughs> in this movie it's just timed so well it's so funny that's yeah. that's really interesting yeah, I feel like with all the Coen Brothers movies, you can really see their just absolute love of film. And it's mm-hmm. just incredible the way that they work some of these moments into their movies that, like you said, I mean, you've seen that a million times, and yet it's so funny. Yeah, and like that's I think I just enjoy this movie on so many levels because I enjoy the story, the characters, all this stuff, but I also enjoy just thinking about the Coen Brothers and... I, I swear that there are these scenes where just between them, they're like, I think this would be funny to do. Let's do it. Like, they put David Thewlis in the movie as, like, Nats Harrington or whatever he is. Mm-hmm. And he has no he has no purpose in the movie, um, <laughs> except for he's just sitting there, and the dude is like, who's this guy? You know, like, we've met so many characters along this, like, journey that the dude is on, and here's this other character, and he's like, who is this guy? What's with him? But I can just tell the Coen brothers are like, we want to have David Thewlis just sitting in the middle of the scene, giggling like a schoolgirl. Yes, <laughs> and I, I love think that for scene. them it, it just like it tickled their. I think it just tickled their funny bone, and so they wanted to put it in. And then they like end the movie with like Maud and Nats just like giggling for too long. And yes. this is where I think like the the Coen brothers want to do their own editing because like another editor might have had them pick up the phone, like look at each other and giggle, and then that's the end of the scene. But what the Coen brothers did is they have them like giggle and then giggle a little bit more and then you cut back and forth between them and they're still giggling. And it's like this obnoxious like pitch to their voice. And mm-hmm. the Coen brothers just sit on that for a couple extra seconds. And it, to me, it just makes it so much funnier. 
I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah, that's a great scene. There's so many good scenes in this movie and so many quotable lines. It's like you have to watch it again just to catch all of them again. You know, it's like I'll forget how funny it is until I see it again. Yeah, and um, just quickly, I can list a couple more that are these oh, like yeah. scene endings. Like mm -hmm. one of the things that impresses me is how, and, and it's important for a comedy to like end the scene at the right moment. Like it's funny. You've gotten just enough. So that giggling one is definitely one of them. Um, but there's also the Jesus Quintana scene that ends perfectly with Walter just turning to the dude and saying, eight-year-olds, dude, and it cuts. Yes. You know, like, I'm like, man, that is like the <laughs> perfect little cap to that scene. Um, or like the dude when Brant is trying to get a hold of him and his phone is just ringing and ringing like throughout the whole scene and it's ringing. And then the dude is like walking away because his car is stolen. And then like Donnie just calls out to him, your phone's ringing, dude. <laughs> like, and the dude's just like, thank you, Donnie, or whatever. And like, they could have just had the scene end already, but they like get these one more little line or this, this perfect moment to then cut right after it. Or like Walter, when he's in the diner and he like slams his hands down, he's like, I'm enjoying my coffee. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. It's just, I, this is where I just know that the Coen brothers are like so much better than I am. Cause like for me, I would have already ended the scene, mm -hmm. but they like put this little stinger on the scene that like, it builds on the humor that they've already set up and it just leaves you with this smile on your face and it like perfectly closes out the scene. It's awesome. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. Um, I guess we've kind of gone through the actors, the directors, and we've touched on a lot of your favorite scenes. It sounds like already, but were there any other specific big scenes that you wanted to talk about? Um, I think, I mean, one that's kind of unique to it is the dream sequences. So you mentioned them, but mm -hmm. there's, you know, like the two, like one where he's knocked out, punched out, and then there's one where he's like drugged by Jackie Treehorn. But I think, again, these are just like an excuse for the Coen brothers to be like, we want to just do some of this stuff. Uh, like, it's kind of like calling back to his like hippie background, possibly. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's just like the Coen brothers having total creative freedom to just throw some stuff on the screen. Um, totally. And so I just love, I love the creativity of those dream sequences and the music too. Uh, the music that goes with it is like perfect. And what's interesting to me about that scene as well is I was surprised when I was watching the behind the scenes and realizing that it was practical effects, as silly as that sounds. Like they could have completely done that just green screen, you know, and not had mm -hmm. all, all the uh, such elaborate like costumes and such a big set that they were working on. I was really impressed mm -hmm. by that when I went back and watched it. And you can kind of see that what the Coen brothers were going to do down the line was something like, I think, Oh Brother, or Where Art Thou, or uh, you mentioned earlier, Hail Caesar. You know, mm -hmm. just how they kind of had a love for, I guess, theater, you know. And so they yeah. kind of injected that scene in the movie when it didn't necessarily need to be in the movie in terms of the story. But it adds something to the movie that makes it, I think, iconic. Kind of in the same way that, yep. like, say in Pulp Fiction, that dancing scene. You know, they stop the movie, they start dancing. Why? I don't know. I guess mainly because it just adds an iconic scene to that movie. I feel like the dream sequence is kind of like that. It, 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 and when I was going back and watching it this time, I was noticing, you know, all the parts of his dream. Some of them are obvious callbacks to earlier in the film. But the guy right. at the end running with the scissors, I never yeah. noticed until watching it this time that there's that painting, I think it's at Maud's house, of those scissors in the background. 
and the mm-hmm. scissors are on top of like a red background. And I pointed at mm-hmm. them and I went, oh, that's where, that's where that comes from later in the dream. Yeah. Like just all these little things that they put in that dream sequence that are in the movie. Yeah. It's not like just a random, you know, dream. It's everything in right. there has a purpose. Yeah. And I think, so it, it gives a little bit of fun for the audience to just make some of these connections. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's also one of these things where to have an iconic movie, you have to just allow the creators a little bit of freedom. Mm-hmm. Like don't, don't make them only go from A to B to C along the plot in a straight line. If they have this inspiration of a dream sequence like this, where they're going to connect to some other things and just kind of have fun with it. Uh, you need to let them do that. Because to me, otherwise, the whole work of art is just missing a little something. And you wouldn't know it was missing it. Like, if you took it out, it would seem like it's a whole complete work. Mm -hmm. But it is missing something because you've kind of, like, handicapped or you've, uh, like, you know, limited them in their creative output. So, to me, I think you need to have some filmmakers where you give them that creative freedom. And then sometimes you'll have magic happen. Like, for me, it did with this movie. For sure. I think that scene... Um, the scene you mentioned earlier with uh, Jesus or Jesus, mm-hmm. um, I love yeah. that whole sequence with him in the in the purple suit and everything. I, in the behind the scenes, the actor was saying that he kind of got to make all these creative choices that he said normally gets cut out because he didn't have a big role. But the Coen brothers loved it and they kept almost every choice that he had in that scene. And I think that that making it a little bit over the top more than it needs to mm-hmm. be, it just adds so much. He's just one of yeah. the more iconic things you remember about the movie because of that. Yeah, that's definitely a standout scene for me. And the physicality of it, like mm-hmm. the way that uh, it's John Turturro as the actor who's also mm-hmm. in other Coen Brothers movies. But like the way that he even bends his spine, like even that's exaggerated, like his yes. the way he moves his hips in and out. And like, why are you curving your like spine so much? And then like his tongue, you know, curving back and and licking the ball with the back of his tongue. I'm like, how did you think of that? But it's like genius. Mm-hmm. Uh and the physicality of him, like, grabbing his foot after his strike, which me and my high school friends that I talked about, that's how we would bowl. If we got <laughs> if, if we, for years, probably if I bowled with my high school friends right now, we would still do this. If we got a strike, we would turn around and grab our foot and, like, point um, towards our friends. But the physicality is just fun how they worked that in. And that's another thing that I love about the dream sequence, by the way, is mm-hmm. Jeff Bridges, like, dancing down the stairs. Yes. Like, him, him, like, kind of spinning his toe and then, like, doing the snaps and hip, hip thrusts. It's like... Well, it's so it's, funny because the other, the women are kind of doing this choreographed dance and so is Maude. And then Jeff Bridges is just being Jeff Bridges. Like, he's just yeah. having fun and it's hilarious because he just... Even though the the scene is so outlandish already, he he sticks out. He doesn't seem like he belongs there, and that that makes it even funnier. Yeah, but yeah, Jesus is definitely a standout scene right away. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Brant, who's played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, he has again like a very small part, but he just really nails it. Like, and and they let him. They I don't know if the Coen Brothers are doing this or if the actor is contributing some of it, but this is how their like secondary characters are just so awesome. Is they have these mannerisms. Like Brant has his hands at his side like this, and then he has like his his the way that he laughs is like this unique way that he's going to laugh out of embarrassment or like to cover for what's going on or whatever. Yeah. And to me, like I just thought that was a great performance, even though it's only a few minutes of screen time um, from Brant as well. 
Oh, I know. I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's definitely one of my favorite actors. And he, he's another actor that I think for a long time, it seemed like he was doing mostly side parts or supporting. And then later in life did more lead acting. Uh, mm -hmm. But he's just so immensely talented. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, just was a really big fan of his work from yeah. this movie. Um, I think the first time I saw him was probably, I'm trying, it was either Almost Famous or The Talented Mr. Ripley. One of those two. Those are both movies that I've really enjoyed. Loved it. Yeah. Punch Drunk Love, Boogie Nights. He's, you know, worked with Paul Thomas Anderson a couple times. Yeah, he did um, Patch Adams too, right? Oh, yeah, like he's, that's right. he's yeah. the the rival, but then he kind of comes around. He has a nice kind of arc for that yeah. movie, and then like eventually people realize that he's really good at being mad and yelling. <laughs> yeah. uh, and like in Charlie Wilson's War, I think it was, mm -hmm. and he has some good scenes where he gets to just like let it rip, and he's really good at that stuff too. Yeah. And he's in Along Came Polly, I think. Oh, I don't and think I've seen that one. That, so it's it's an okay movie, but there's this great scene where Philip Seymour Hoffman comes in and just totally does a slip, like, pratfall slide thing, and it's just so hilarious. And I think it's in that movie where he's, like, a, a struggling actor who's trying to do community theater or something, and then he tries to take over, like, a high school production of Jesus Christ Superstar, and that, so he's okay, got some... Okay, this is... Th I'm, I'm remembering this film now, the more you talk about it. Yeah, he's my favorite part of the film. The rest of the film is okay, but, like, his stuff is really good. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's incredible, like, in this movie, as you mentioned, he it's such a small part, but he does so much with it. Um, he's yeah. very memorable. Uh, I do love all his controlled laughs, and mm -hmm. uh, when I was watching it, uh, me and my husband were saying, it's, it seemed almost like he either, you kind of can't tell how he really feels about Mr. Lebowski. Like, right. is because even when Mr. Lebowski is off screen, I mean, he keeps that, you know, I guess you could call it an act up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's hard mm -hmm. to see what his real emotions are, but that only makes it funnier. Like, is he so dedicated to this job that he can never really show how he yeah. actually feels? Or is this just the real him and yeah. I don't know. I, I really like that about the uh, the whole yeah. his whole shtick, how stiff he is and the way he yeah. reacts to the dude. It's it's good. It's really good. No, yeah, I think that's a really insightful way to look at it. Like, is there still a, a real Brant inside there, or has he like lost himself because he's been like mirroring the Big Lebowski's for so long? Like when uh, the millionaire Lebowski is in mourning, like Brant is like putting his head down and he's all, everything is like sorrowful and like, oh, I've got to be respectful because we're in mourning right now. And then like when the millionaire is like chewing out the dune and is mad about the money, like Brant is just like, you know, repeating what the Big, uh, the Big Lebowski is saying. So, yeah. It's Especially, just, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah, no. I was just say he's he doesn't really ever have anything for himself. He is o always just every moment just doing what he needs to do for his boss. Right. I love the part where uh, you know the dude sort of raises the question. Well, you know that that she needed the bunny needed money, and maybe uh -huh. that's why this is happening. And this uh -huh. time I was watching. I looked right at Philip Seymour Hoffman. I was trying to like see. Is I mean, come on. You, you know, this character must have thought of that, but he's still like, he never really reacts to it. It's like they're yeah. both silent. There's that awkward silence where you, <laughs> you look at Brand's face searching to see. And then the Big Lebowski says, you know, that did not occur to me. And then, of course, Philip <laughs> Hoffman just agrees with them. And yeah. I, thought, I think that makes that so funny. Yeah, it is. It's so good. And that's where I was saying, like, the 
like the the different mixing of the characters. So, like there you have the dude stammering and trying to explain himself, and he's like blathering, and then he finally like spits it out, and then you get to see how that plays off of this fake millionaire and then his like humble dedicated assistant and like to me it's just so genius how they put these characters into those situations for sure yeah it, it's really good so let's see i was trying to think of my favorite scenes too i can't really i mean i feel like we touched on them already i'm trying to think go, go um, ahead if you think of oh, one, jump in well i was going to ask you like so the bowling alley not only had the jesus stuff but it also had the return of Sam Elliott, and then it also has the uh, over the line scene with Smokey. Oh my gosh! And that was that's I love one that, that scene. <laughs> uh, I like. I catch other people quoting that. Um, if anybody says something about a line, then somebody might say over the line, and I know they're a big Lebowski fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also just a great moment for Walter. Like, <laughs> and they filmed it really well because like Walter is getting more upset, and he stands up and he pulls the gun out, and he's making this whole thing about you know nobody cares about the rules and over the line market zero market zero and then they have that great shot of walter in his stance holding the gun straight out and like smoky leaning back and it's just framed perfectly and you can see like donnie behind it like reacting to it yes. and uh that's just where it's like wow they not only wrote this great scene but they have the perfect visual to capture it and it has all these angles and the you know foreground background it's just great stuff well, that, that scene where he's sort of like cocking the gun and talking about, you know, does anyone follow the rules anymore? I feel like I see that meme all the time <laughs> because mm-hmm. of this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, w- you're talking about Donnie's reaction. Uh, one of the things I heard in the behind the scenes, the Coen brothers talked about, they were like, you need to go back and watch this movie and just look at Donnie's face. Because as you mm-hmm. said earlier, he's silent a lot of the time, but it's mm-hmm. just watching him react is so funny. He's always <laughs> back there. Like, even mm-hmm. if he kind of shouldn't be in the scene, you just see him in the corner and just look at his face and you read even more about what's happening. I feel like it's it's so funny. Yeah, it's but that's yeah. why there's you can watch this movie so many times and like that can be another whole viewing of the movie is just to watch Donnie and like mm-hmm. trace what's going on with him. And it's like so great. Like they they tell Donnie to shut up, shut up, shut up. And then there's that great payoff. So it's like the setup and then the payoff when Donnie comes in to, to like announce the new schedule and like Walter is about to tell him to shut up. And then he, oh, wait, oh, wait I actually care about what you're saying right now. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's the perfect payoff to all of those shut ups and Walter catching himself. And it's acted perfectly. Like John Goodman, he seemed like he actually was about to yell at him. And then he switches into like, oh, when, what is this, you know, new schedule? So it's, it's again, it's written well, but John Goodman like pulls it off perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels very natural. Um, I was trying to think of an, another really great scene. Uh, let's see. There's just so many. I feel like it's just one. It's like end scene to the next great, you know, iconic scene after another in this film. So it's kind of hard. It, it never really, I can't really think of a part of the movie where it lulls or I'm waiting for the next part. I'm just sort of enjoying each yeah. part of this movie, you know? Now, now some people have said like, Sam Elliott's part as the narrator, you know, and he comes into the actual scenes a couple times. But some people have said, like, oh, we didn't need that. Like, you know, just kind of get to the story faster. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So, I, uh, and I know, I think that at some point, Sam Elliott even asked the Coen brothers, like, what am I doing in this movie? Like, it, it seems like, and I think the Coen brothers just said, like, you know, we just want your voice. <laughs> yeah. we, and I think it's one of those things, too, where the Coen brothers are just like, you know, doing something because they think it'll be awesome. Like, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be awesome to have Sam Elliott, you know, narrating the beginning and ending of the movie? But to me, it also works 
for the movie itself because they play off the idea of the Western genre several times. And to me, they're kind of like making this bigger point of the modern Western. Like, so in the 1800s, the Western would be this frontier stuff and it's all kind of like stereotypical and it's all kind of a caricatures of what was actually going on in the frontier. And you have like the heroic cowboys and like the savage Indians. And it's this like kind of like skewed version of history, but it's known as this genre of the Western And I think now it's like, okay, now the West Coast would be California and we do have this like modern California culture, but let's do like a sort of a caricatured version of it. Like, let's take the dude and make him a Los Angeles kind of guy, former hippie, and let's like play this out. And so to me, it's kind of like a modern Western that they are contrasting with the classic western that that is a great assessment i love that and it's funny too because i mean you know you go from the caricature of the western life which sounds heroic interesting uh dynamic and now the new one is the dude i mean that's (laughs) that's funny you know and yeah i I love uh i completely agree with you i can't imagine the movie without sam elliott i i would have to disagree with people that don't like that part of the movie and i Mm -hmm. i agree with what you're saying about the coen brothers i think in general it amused them and so they put it in the movie you know yeah yeah and and they even when they when they mention it they go they just laugh and say we wanted your voice we we wrote the part for you and wanted you in the movie that that's it Yeah. And I can imagine like somebody not I can imagine a lot of people not liking the Big Lebowski. And like one reason one thing I can imagine them saying is the narrator at the beginning of the movie. First of all, I don't know why the narrator is there, but then they might also say the narrator loses his train of thought within the first few minutes of the movie. And like (laughs) he literally says like, oh, I lost my train of thought. Like, what was I saying again? And, like, this is a scripted movie, and it's a narrator doing a voiceover of the beginning. So there is no reason that you should have any, you know, any repetitions, confusion. You definitely should never lose your place. Sure. But the Coen brothers, like, put that in. And to me, it's hilarious, and it, like, sets up expectations for the rest of the movie. But I could imagine somebody who, like, doesn't get it, and they're just sort of like, that's stupid. A narrator would never lose their train of thought. Yeah, and I I especially like at the end of the movie when you said, you know, it kind of ends the movie too, and he says, it brings me comfort to know that the dude's still out there. You know, it's like, why? Why does that bring you comfort? Like, that's (laughs) something you would say at the end of a Western, Mm -hmm. you know, because... Your hero is there to save the day. Yeah, he's still out there somewhere. But the dude, I mean, him being out there somewhere that does nothing for us (laughs) as the audience. (laughs) So I, I really think it's very funny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I uh you know it's it, when you say that I haven't run into a whole lot of people that don't that don't like the movie at all, but I will say it you know it, I I think it's still considered a cult classic, right? I mean Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I just think there I I have uh, ran into some people who are just like, I, I tried to watch it or I watched it and I just didn't like it. And I think that they basically just didn't get it or they, they weren't in the right frame of mind or something. Mm-hmm. Um and not not everybody has to like oh, it. Oh sure. But yeah. I think it's kind of like they just weren't into it and they're kind of like, this is kind of stupid or like, you know, it's confusing or what's going on. And then they just kind of like, once you're out of it, maybe they can't get back into it. But Mm -hmm. for me, that was not a problem for me. It like, to me, it was hitting me in all the right spots. And then upon rewatching it, it's just got even better every time. Well, I think, you know, on your podcast, you kind of break down each scene and talk about what it means and you use a lot of uh, film terminology and, and explain, you know, thematically what the director's trying to convey. 
I think mm-hmm. your ability to see that in the movie enhances it. Whereas maybe a casual viewer might not pick up on some of that. And so they can't see the, I mean, you know, a genius in, in the way that the Coen brothers pace this movie and that everything is intentional. Like there's a viewing of this movie that everything is random almost, but, mm-hmm. it, but it's not, you know, no. yeah. and that's, that's what makes to me, that's what sets this apart from a movie that's just strange or, you know, random or it, it, it's a movie that feels that way. But if you pay attention, it's not at all. And that makes it even, even better to me. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really like, no, every line was like, every line connects to other things or is there for a very specific purpose. And so it's like very finely crafted, but it does come across as sort of like, Oh, maybe this is improvised or, Oh, maybe this is just like off the wall, random stuff. It's like, but it's not, I, I could imagine too, like somebody saying the repetition is annoying, right? Like mm-hmm. why is, why is Walter saying the same thing eight times in a row while he smashes this car? Like, this is what happens. Do you see what happens? Um, and so they could be like, that's annoying. Like Walter's saying the same line over again. But to me, I just enjoy it. And to me, it almost becomes like music where it's like mm-hmm. in music, you have like a little motif. And you don't just play the motif once, you like bring the motif back. And sometimes you actually will just repeat it a few times in a row to let it to like let your audience get in the groove or like feel this part of the music. And then a few minutes later, you might bring that motif back and maybe have it in a different instrument or something. And to me, that's like what the Coen brothers were doing. Like sometimes they're going to have Walter just groove to this line several times. So you kind of get into the rhythm of it and you start to feel it almost as music. And then they also will have a line come out of a different character's mouth and that would be like having the motif pass through the strings and then from the brass and then you know a solo flute plays the motif like to me that's what they're doing like oh now we're gonna have this character say the line um and people will probably you know be upset if we don't name at least some of the ones that are repeated a lot so there is the like you know do you see what happens but there's also no funny stuff is said a bunch of times by different people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The really tied the room together is obviously repeated a lot about the rug, but the do you see what happens is repeated um, by several people, not just Walter, although he has the kind of like solo with that one. Sure. Um, you're entering a world of pain. Uh, uh-huh. He says it yeah. to Smokey, but then it comes up again later uh, with Larry, I think it is. Um, they're going to kill that poor woman, like <laughs> said a bunch of times. <laughs> And then there's the, her life is in your hands, um, which Brant says, and then the dude repeats later. But to me, it's kind of genius because the Coen brothers literally wrote it into the dialogue. Her life is in your hands. He asked me to repeat this. Her life is in your hands. So like the character is actually saying, I'm about to repeat a line, but I'm repeating it on purpose. And to me, that applies to actually the whole movie. The whole movie, they're repeating these lines on purpose. And when you say, you know, it could be annoying or too repetitive, but I think it's it, that's probably one of the situations where you get the humor of that or you don't, you know? Mm-hmm. It's because I think for me, when when they do that in comedy, it's really funny to me. There, there's a, a way to build a scene where you just keep repeating it over and over and it sort of picks up momentum and gets funnier. Mm-hmm. And this movie is like a really great example of that. And sort of just proof that the Coen brothers really understand comedy and timing. And so, 
you know, they're, they're really great at editing the movie with timing and, and there's visual comedy, as you said, but then also the dialogue is perfectly crafted for, for yeah. comedy. And so, yeah, I think it's one of those things, if you're a, a comedy nerd, which I kind of am a little bit, I dabble in being a comedy nerd. Um, mm-hmm. I watch like a lot of stand up and listen to comedy podcasts, but, mm-hmm. uh, I think that if you're into that, you would see that about this movie. But mm-hmm. if it's kind of not really your thing, I could see being annoyed by it and kind of not understanding what yeah. the, the meaning behind it is. I could totally see that too. Yeah. And I think the repetition, it's funny, like you're saying, and it makes it even funnier, but then it also makes it more memorable just because mm-hmm. you are repeating it. Um, and then to me, it also makes it more iconic where that line becomes like trademarked by the big Lebowski. So now if anybody ever says, you know, they're going to kill that poor woman, like that now is a big Lebowski line. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not because they said it once, it's because they said it a few times and had fun with it. Or, you know, the other lines, like I was saying about over the line or whatever. So it, it kind of like claims that line as a big Lebowski property. Totally. I think there's a couple one-liners in the movie too that I think they only say once that still just make me laugh so hard. It's almost like there's so much repetition that sometimes when they take a break from it and just give one really good, I guess, zinger, it just really sticks with you. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think this line is repeated, but one of my favorite lines that I still say is that part where uh, Jeff Bridges is reacting to somebody insulting him, and he just goes, well, that's just like your opinion, man. And mm-hmm. that that part... I don't know. For some reason, that line, every time I see it, I laugh so hard when he says it. Because it's like yeah. he doesn't have a good comeback. He doesn't have no. – <laughs> he can't pull from an earlier conversation, which seems to be, like you said, what he depends on. So mm-hmm. he just goes, well, that's just like your opinion. <laughs> yeah, I think, so that is a, I think that is the only time that one said. And it's perfect because like instead of getting riled up – and tr- like, cause if you try to have a, a good comeback, that also means that you're actually kind of getting reeled into the confrontation. And for him, he's just like, he's laid back and he's like so laid back that he's not even going to put much effort into coming up with a comeback. <laughs> it's like, yeah. he's going to just ramble through it and then it's going to be lame. And that's almost like more perfect than if he had said something really clever. And it's, I think, frustrating to the person insulting him because he doesn't come up with an explanation. You know, he doesn't say, no, I'm yeah. not. No, You know, I've got a lot going on. No, this. He just goes, that's your opinion. Yeah. The end. <laughs> what else can you say? There's nothing to say to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, the, the thing, too, I wanted to mention uh, is that the Coen brothers seem to have a real awareness of what they're doing with the movie. So, like I said, with the... Uh, they literally said, we're going to repeat this line. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are at least two other moments where like, it signals to me that the Coen brothers knew exactly what they were doing with this movie. So like, one thing for me is the movie has a lot of swearing in it, which like, makes it harder for me to like, watch it with anybody or like, recommend it to everybody because it does, sure. not, not everybody wants to have that much swearing. Um, but to me, the Coen brothers were like, aware that they were putting a lot of swear words in their script because they literally have Sam Elliott say, do you have to use so many cuss words? So like, mm-hmm. to me, that's almost like a meta commentary on the movie itself. Um, and then the dude has a good response to that. Um, but another moment is like when the plot has really gotten kind of convoluted and you have all these characters and Jackie Treehorn and all this stuff, and you're not sure if she's kidnapped or whatever. And then there's this uh, new character late in the movie when you usually would not introduce any more characters. The dude finally goes back to the, the, little Volkswagen bug and he pulls the guy out 
and confronts him, you're like, okay, who is this character? Is it gonna? T- you expect it to tie into somebody that you already know, like it's gonna be related to Maud or to Lebowski or to Treehorn or something. And instead, he's this brand new character yep. who says, "Who says I'm working for the Knutsons?" And then to me, the Coen Brothers show like this meta commentary awareness like of their movie because the response is just, "Who the f are the Knutsons?" Like, like <laughs> one one more name that I have to try to sort through, and I've already been like trying to keep track of all of these different characters. So to me, that was just perfect. Like, wow, you're introducing a character this late. That's what you get for it. Yeah, and you you know what you you had a really good point there too because you know the main character of the movie is thrown into all these situations they just bleed right into the next scene right into another more outrageous situation it's kind of dizzying it's disorienting for him he has no idea what to do next what's going on and neither does the audience so to take that moment to pull out of the movie and say <laughs> yeah you don't know what's going on do you it, it's pretty funny yeah and, and even and- the 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 scene about um not using so many swear words. That is such a smart line to throw in there too, like you said, because there, you know, there could be an audience member or maybe someone's seen this movie and says, well, I don't like all the cussing. You know, does the movie really need that? And then the Coen brothers actually say it in the movie. Yeah. I, I, that's just so funny. The, the awareness mm-hmm. of every aspect of this movie that they have in the script is just hilarious. Totally yeah. Hilarious. And I, th- and the, the fact that the Coen brothers have such a good awareness of the medium of like filmmaking they can get humor from it. It's like the Knutson's line is funny because we would expect it to connect to another character. We would not expect it to be a new family all of a sudden. Yeah. And they do it They do it also with one of my favorite moments, which is at Jackie Treehorn's when Jackie Treehorn gets a phone call and the dude, like he's like, ooh, who's that phone call? Is that going to be something about this mystery that I'm like trying to unravel? And then Treehorn leaves. And so like we're watching a movie, so you would expect anything that's emphasized like this. And if it gets screen time, it's going to somehow tie into the plot and it's going to reveal some sort of information about the mystery. And he goes up and he starts like, you know, shading in the notepad. And then it's just a drawing of a dick pic, like cartoon. So it's, it's (laughs) like, it's totally meaningless. It's this porn, you know, producer who just drew this down, but it doesn't further anything in the mystery. It doesn't provide any useful information. And to me, the fact that they built it up and then like included it in the movie is funny on a whole nother level that's totally. related to like what we expect to happen in movies. We would expect it to always be something relevant. And instead, nope, it's totally irrelevant. It's just funny. It's just like a little visual gag. And then the dude goes back and tries to act like he didn't, you know, didn't look at it. But to me, that's just like they found comedy in all these places that I didn't even know you could really have comedy in a movie. Yeah, I agree. And I also think this uh, theme about it doesn't really mean anything is in a lot of their films, too, you know, where they build up to what's this all going to pay off for in the end and then it just doesn't. And mm-hmm. that's part of the, the comedy of that film. Um, yeah, like I think, a, a, yeah, a, ser- a serious man, I think, does that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and even in, I don't know, even in movies like Fargo or or, or Brother Were Out Thou, they don't... Like, there's not, like, a, a tidied-up bow at the end of the movie that makes you feel good about everything that happened. It's kind of just, mm-hmm. this is the end, you know? <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And they're aware of that. And, you know, in this movie, they keep bringing up the nihilist, the whole movie, and then <laughs> and then they literally put that concept in the movie as well. So, yeah, that's kind of funny. Do you have any other scenes that you wanted to discuss? No, I think, I mean, I, I, I could talk about it. 
Yeah, I could talk about everything, but I think we've probably covered most of the big stuff. Um, I love the landlord that they have in his dance quintet that he does is awesome. Yes. Um, oh, but- yeah. When I was watching that scene, I was like, what is this part of the movie? I couldn't remember who they were even there to see. That's so funny. I completely forgot it was their landlord. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just great stuff. And there's like, there's little moments that I think are awesome. Like, And this is kind of humor from the editing, like... Um, when they give dude the toe and it's like, Oh, it's got the nail polish on it and stuff. So that was all like well-crafted by the filmmakers. Yes. But the, the millionaire Lebowski says to him, like, you know, if any harm befalls her, it's, I'm going to like return it upon you tenfold or tenfold upon your head. And I thought that was just genius because they chose tenfold, not just because it's a like common saying, but in like the next scene, they cut to the big Lebowski in his bathtub and they show all 10 of his toes like up on the bathtub. And it's like, oh, if one toe's cut off, that would literally be like all 10 of his toes being cut off. Gotcha, so it's like yeah. that. And they're like p- just peeking above the water. So it's like even just little editing gags of like, oh, we're going to cut to his toes and show all 10 of them and like connect back to that previous scene. So cool stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I could talk about it all day. I'll kind of wrap it up. But um, oh, no, I do think I do think it's cool that... Uh, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers is in the movie because yes. I just I enjoy like when there are interlockings between different things that I love. So I really like the Red Hot Chili Peppers and then I really love this movie. And so it's just kind of cool that Flea is in it. <laughs> uh, did you see uh, Baby Driver yet? I have not seen it. I, it's on my list. I want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. He's in that movie, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, not yeah. I knew he's in uh, Back to the Future Part 2, of course. That's right. Yeah. He's, he's in that <laughs> movie as well. Yeah, um, no, I, I I totally agree with you. I the whole the whole issue with Bunny and her you know self kidnapping and all that. I think that that plot point in the movie is so brilliant because I think that's one thing that when you watch it all the way through um, the first time, you might not pick up on all the little clues about where this is heading, and then mm-hmm. when you go back and see it again, that's something that kind of gets stronger the more you see it. Yeah, and if people if we want to give people like four different ways to watch the movie, another one that you could do is you could just watch the movie as the story of the dude's car and it's, <laughs> it's demise because like it just progressively gets worse and worse and worse. And so like the dude is getting into these like bad situations, but his car is also taking the brunt of it a lot of times. And uh, they, it's just kind of a great story arc for his vehicle too. <laughs> for sure. And it's worth a lot more than his rug that he is so upset about in the beginning. so it makes it even funnier and also i really love the scene um at i i forget what's the name of the kid again larry sellers larry sellers okay so when they're at larry (laughs) sellers house and walter once again making all these assumptions and leaps he goes outside and starts smashing that car (laughs) and then it's not that kid's car i love that the kid just goes outside and just looks yeah he's just anything He's staring at it, just cold, stone cold the whole time, no reaction. And that guy says, it's not my car, and uh, then goes and messes up the dude's car, and it's not Walter's car. The, there's just yep. so many funny yep. neither, yeah. neither <laughs> once was the right car. Yeah. Right, right, right. That is a great scene. And then they get in and out burgers, and, it, and they just cut to, cut to them with no windshield in the car, driving towards camera, and then they're munching on In-N-Out burgers. So it's just like silently, it's a callback to that In-N-Out burger being near Larry Sellers' house. That's right. Oh my gosh, that is so good. I also love the repeated line throughout the movie, 
well, let's just go bowling. And it's like always yep. at like the worst moment. It's, you know, <laughs> it's like you would never go bowling right after that happened. And to me, the ultimate or the, the biggest payoff is when at Donnie's eulogy, they yep. cry, they hug each other, and then they're like, well, let's go bowling. And then they do. Yep. And you're like, yep. what? <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> <It's> brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I just, yeah, I love the movie. I'm so glad that I got to talk about it because, like I said, with my podcast, I love the DC movies. And actually, like Batman v Superman has now become my second favorite movie. But oh, wow. this, you know, I rewatched this movie for, for us to have the conversation and it confirmed like The Big Lebowski is still my favorite movie. So, yeah, yeah. I, I was, I was excited that you asked me to watch it again. And it definitely was not a movie where I thought, Oh, I really like that movie, but I got to watch it again. I just thought, let's put it in. And a kind of funny aside story, um, I decided to go ahead and make some white Russians to watch uh, the movie and, and drink those while I watched it. Okay. And um, I'm not, that's not really a drink that I like very much, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Just the idea of cream, you know, any of those kind of old fashioned drinks that have cream or egg white, like, ugh, yeah. it just, it doesn't sound yep. appealing, but. I went out and I got um, some coffee liqueur that was a little bit better than Kahlua. I was like, ah, I don't really want to drink Kahlua. It's too sweet. And I mm -hmm. got some you know, heavy whipping cream. And then I already had the vodka ingredient at my house. So I was like, I'm going to make some really good ones. And mm -hmm. so I kind of measured them all out. Um, and we got ready and started watching the movie. And I gave one to my husband. And all of a sudden he goes, I've never had one of these before. And I just hmm. looked at him and I was like, really? <laughs> and he hmm. goes, yeah, I've never, ever had one of these. And I, I thought that was so interesting because, you know, I know he's seen the movie a bunch. I know I've seen the movie a bunch. And I know when I was sort of growing up, since it was kind of popular at the time in my early 20s, I feel like people drank them a bunch just because they like this movie. Yeah. Like, I feel like you can, you can always tell when someone orders one, you're like, oh, I feel like you're just ordering it because of that movie. But <laughs> <laughs> I always have that thought. So I was surprised that he had never had one. And then he, he really liked it. Like, I, I told him, I said, I I'm warning you, I'm making it because we're watching this movie, but uh -huh. uh, I, I don't think you're going to like it. And he, he, he drinks it. He's like, this is delicious. I love it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so I made cool. him a couple, but it was just funny to me that that happened. And. Yeah, I should, I should so, like impose my I should post my ingredients like a picture of them because yeah, you, know, you might have Im successful. improved it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, there you go. Um, so I earlier I said that the dude was not an idol of mine or a role model, but I actually did try a couple of white, white Russians because of this movie. Yeah, um, I'm not much of a drinker, but I did. I just wanted to try it out and like see like okay, what is this one that he always has every time? And so I thought it was okay, but I I was definitely not a huge fan of it, but. Yeah, it was worth. I was definitely wanted to try it, you know, at least once or twice, just to see, to get in the mind of the dude a little bit. Right. I feel compelled to try it because it's such a strange drink to always be drinking everywhere he goes. Like anything yeah. with like a milk product, it's just weird. Exactly. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Expect him to drink beer, or I don't know, maybe a bourbon or you know something something that people yeah. would readily have like it, it's so funny in the movie when he goes over to someone's house and asks them if they have clue and cream it's like you know isn't that a little presumptuous to think that your guest has these ingredients for this drink like yeah if, if they say do you want to drink in a movie it's usually they just pour you know whiskey or something <laughs> but everywhere yeah. he goes he's like do you have the ingredients to make a white russian i think that's yeah. kind of funny because he's so lazy and yet he expects his host to have 
this drink yeah. ready for him, basically. Yeah, and he's like, at one point, he's sitting down and expecting the other person to make it for him, and then they're like, the bar's over there. Like, and he, yeah. he has to get up and make it himself, but he was about to sit down and just let somebody else do it. Like, that's, yeah, it's it's just a great character that's well-drawn, where, it's like, you look at any of these moments, and it just seems like this very consistent character. Right, and he's sort of, I guess that's sort of his James Bond drink, you know, instead of a, a martini, <laughs> yeah. he's got a white Russian. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one quick question for you. I didn't know if you knew a lot about this, but in the commentary, the directors talk about that the structure of the movie is like, I think they said a Chandler novel. Uh-huh. And I don't know much about that. Do you? I haven't read any, but I did look it up a little bit like mm-hmm. 10 years ago or something. I mean, I think that Chandler wrote like um, private eye, private detective, like genre books. Mm-hmm. So they always kind of followed a formula where you have this private eye you know, he kind of has the narration of, you know, the kind of self-narration through the story, you know, and then uh, the whole story is following that private eye. So, like, every scene is just going with the private eye as he's, like, tracking down whoever he needs to track down the missing person or solving the crime or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so they said that, you know, like, the whole movie, except for maybe one or at most two scenes, is the dude. You do follow the dude through every single scene. So in that sense, it's kind of like that, but like we said, it's the, it's the juxtaposition of the character that they chose to put through it all. Right. Not not being equipped for it at all. And then having Walter, who's even gives worse advice, you know, like Walter saying, you know, uh, he brings his uh, whites to throw in the ringer and then has his Uzi and he's like not rolling out of their naked and stuff. That's a great scene too. But yep, yep. Um, But yeah, I think that's what they mean. Like, it's kind of like, you know, a missing person, what could be a private eye story, but it's just this person has no skills to actually figure it out and he just eventually wants to give up and like say, oh, he would give up except for he just is now in it where other people drag him along through it. Right. And even throwing in a literal private eye, you know, yeah, yeah. towards the end of the film, it's like this is kind of the guy the film should sort of be about <laughs> instead <laughs> of him. So that's kind of funny, too. And I, I don't think I picked up on that until I watched the behind the scenes and they talked about the, the Chandler novel structure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just another good angle of the movie that I didn't know before. So, I mean, this movie just gives you so much to to go back and sort of dissect and think about. Um, that's what I really like about it. Yeah, and it gives you a sense of, like, even though it's it's about these very specific characters in a very specific location, it does have this sense of a bigger world. Like, there's the, you know, Jackie Treehorn and all his productions, and then there's this band, Audubon, and they have an album. So he's like, oh, there's actually, like, albums that exist in this world. Mm-hmm. And uh, and movies, like, there's Logjam, and, like, so there's this movie. That, <laughs> so there's movies that exist in the movie, and there's music that exists in the movie. So it does feel like it's this bigger world. And then, like, the characters have a history that's shown that's not shown on screen, like Walter's marriage or the Vietnam and, you know, that kind of stuff. So they do a good job of like making it feel like a full world. And I think that's mm-hmm. part of why it can have this cult status is because it is very rich in that way. Yeah. Or Donnie surfing, something I never really picked up on until I watched it again this time. <laughs> <laughs> when he talks about Donnie surfed up, it's like, I can't picture that at all. <laughs> yeah, right. And they so, never showed us any of it. So it's no. just, yeah, <laughs> it's just like a funny aside at the very end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm definitely not trying to rush you in any way. I'm just making sure that I get all of the information from you that you wanted to include about this movie. Were, were there any other things that you wanted oh. to, to discuss? Oh, I think we covered things really well. Um, I mentioned it really briefly, but the music is awesome. Um, oh, yeah. Like The Man and Me, the Hotel California, uh, yes. the like uh, Spanish version of it. 
Um, probably my favorite is Just Dropped In um, by First Edition. Um, and then looking out my uh, looking out my back door, whatever that Creedence Clearwater revival song is, is like mm-hmm. great because he's always talking about his Creedence. Um, <laughs> and that scene is awesome too, where he's like driving, he's feeling good for a moment and like pounding on his car and then has the great crash and stuff. But it's a... Uh, yeah, the music is another element that the Coen brothers are really good at doing. Oh my gosh, I just remembered a scene I want to talk about. So, and uh-huh. I didn't make this connection before. So, when uh, you mentioned Hotel California, the scene yeah. with uh, Jesus, and then later in the movie, uh, the dude is in a cab and he's had a bad day and he's griping at the cab driver. Yeah. And the last thing he says before the cab driver just loses it on him is that he hates that he really hates the Eagles. Yeah. <laughs> and yep. that's Hotel California, right? Yep, that's so yeah, <laughs> that's the same band. Yeah, it's a it's a different song playing, but it's the same yeah. band. And then he's just saying like, "Oh, come on, I've had a tough day. I don't want to hear the Eagles right now." Like, yeah, so that definitely connects back. And it's funny because it's like just the things that that uh, the dude chooses to get angry about are just you know they're mm-hmm. non they're not uh, essential <laughs> at all. Like like that song, like you couldn't just let that go. It yeah, just makes her such a funny scene. <laughs> the things that he chooses to have a standoff about um, yeah. don't matter. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. No, I totally agree with you. It's, there's so many facets to this movie. It's like, I'm afraid that, we're, that it, like later tonight I'm going to think of something because I oh, just, yeah. I mean, when I, every time I watch it again, like I did on Saturday, I just saw all these scenes like that cab scene. I was like, I forgot about this scene. I really love it, but there's just so many big scenes. It's hard to remember all of them, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I could do I could do three of these and still probably not run out of stuff like um, like the police officers meet with the dude because his car was stolen and he yes. like reclines back in his seat and he's talking about his briefcase uh, my briefcase uh, there's a briefcase with my papers and, and they ask him like what his job is he's like I'm unemployed which is like also a funny callback to earlier with the Big Lebowski where the Big mm-hmm. Lebowski was asking him if he's employed and uh, <laughs> but then to me it's like funny like these police officers are sitting there and the one police officer he just has a few lines but uh, the white police officer he's like leaning forward and he's like so eager to do his job as a police officer and then uh, the dude says that his rug was also stolen and that police officer's like ooh separate incidents <laughs> I'm, <laughs> like, I'm like that's just so genius like this character could have been nothing but instead he has this personality and then the coen brothers gave him like this perfect line of like being excited that there's another crime that i could try to solve and then like case closed on that one you know <laughs> yeah and then the other officer sees right through the situation so clearly you know he he picks up the pipe and looks at it and looks at the dude and he's just like this is a huge waste of my time (laughs) yeah he doesn't care about any of it and he's like wouldn't hold out hope for the credence like so it's a great contrast between those police officers yeah yeah well um i guess we kind of we kind of talked about this a little bit already but what what is it about this movie? Do you think that you've seen it so many times? Like, why have you seen this movie fifteen plus times? Yeah, I think for me, it's it's two things. It's because I'm so impressed that the humor is working on all those different levels and different ways that they found humor. And then the other one is that I will make new connections or see new little insights or catch jokes that I didn't catch before. So I feel like I better watch it again because if I'm still seeing new stuff, I need to watch it again because I might see even more new stuff. So like those are the two main reasons. And like I said, with my with my high school friends, we enjoyed it together and we would quote it to each other. So I watched it, you know, multiple times just to kind of get in that spirit of it. Mm-hmm. So that the bulk of my watching of it happened 
back there in high school to like first year of college or so. But still, every year or two years, I still pull it back out and just watch it again. And I just love it every time. Yeah, it's rare to have a movie that before you even pop it in, you're just excited because you know you're going to have a really good time because the movie sort of either represents a good time in your life or it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just so enjoyable to watch. I think that there's not a lot of comedies with repeat watchability, you know? I don't, I can't think of, sometimes you'll watch a movie and it's really funny, but it doesn't grow on you. It doesn't, there's Mm -hmm. nothing new added. And because this movie is such a great film, not just a great comedy, but a great film, you're able to do that. So you're kind of, as you said, getting more entertainment out of it on different levels. And so I think for me, it's nice to have a movie that's funny, but that I can return to in, I guess, like in the movie, repeat viewing, you know, repetition, uh, see it over and over. And then the other reason why I like it, I think because you can see the influence that the Coen brothers have from Kubrick and how, Mm. you know, in a Kubrick movie, it's it's basically a work of art. I mean, it's truly... Every scene is like a piece of art almost. And there's so much to look at in the background, so many details that the director adds to it. And the Mm -hmm. Coen brothers did that with a comedy, which, you know, normally you wouldn't do. And so it kind of gives you those different levels to come back to. So um, Mm -hmm. lastly, I think the dialogue, uh, which, you know, plays into the comedy as well, but um, they're just such masters of dialogue, I think. And there are mm-hmm. some movies that I like where the dialogue is the whole movie, like Reservoir mm-hmm. Dogs, something like that, where it's all talking. And mm-hmm. that's those some of my favorite movies are like that. So I just really like this movie because of that. It gives me all those things in kind of like one neat package. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what would you say to someone that's never seen this movie before? How, how do you pitch it to somebody? Oh, that's a tough one. Like, cause not, not everybody likes the Coen brothers style. Like we've talked about. Um, so if the way I would basically pitch it to people is I would ask them if they know the Coen brothers or if they like any of the Coen brothers movies. And I I might describe, I might say like, you know, they did Fargo or they did Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And like, I might mention a few of them. And if they say, oh yeah, I like those. Then I would say like, you definitely need to watch the big Lebowski. Um, I guess the other thing, I, if I if I know somebody and I know their sense of humor, then I might just I might not tell them anything about it. I might just say, "You would enjoy it. It's really funny," and that would that would be like all I would say. Yeah, I think good call on both counts. It's hard, you know. Comedy is one of those genres. It's pretty subjective what people find funny. So yeah. you know, it's kind of hard to to tell. And there's definitely movies that are very popular that everyone loves except me because, like I said, it's subjective. So it is kind of hard to recommend it that way. But I would say you've got a pretty good shot of enjoying it. Um, You know, it's a classic for a reason. I do think it's one of the movies that sort of lives up to the height or cult status that kind of surrounds Mm -hmm. it. So I would Mm -hmm. say that. I would say that if you really love movies, you at least need to see it. Because, you know, it's it's a pretty big classic, I think, for movie buffs specifically. So I would say that. And I would ask them, you know, or I would try to make sure that they're okay with swearing. Yeah, because that's like a good if call. somebody if somebody's really against swearing or it makes them uncomfortable, they won't really be able to enjoy it. Sure. Um, and I would also tell people never ever watch it on broadcast television because, um, <laughs> like, I made the mistake once of like turning to it when it was showing on like a cable channel or something, and so it was like bleeped and censored. 
Mm-hmm. And it was just not funny at all. Like, yeah. I can't I can't imagine how anybody would watch it that way. That's so true. That's a good point. It's better to just never watch it. You have to watch <laughs> like because it there's just so much it and it ruins the rhythm, right? Like we talked about, there's this the rhythm and how they get into the scenes where it seems like they're you know almost improving it. It's so like fluid, mm-hmm. and you can't have that with like over overdubbing or bleeping the swears. Yeah, so. or I'm sure editing out certain things about the movie too that they can't show on TV anyway. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Definitely steer a hundred miles away from any kind of a commercial broadcast of it. I love that you pointed out. You know, be careful who you recommend it to, because when you, we were talking earlier about Fargo and and also about how this movie not everybody gets it. I have a really close friend that told me, you know, oh, one time my friend recommended Fargo to me, and I couldn't believe. You know, after I saw it, I was just horrified, and I mm-hmm. thought that was really funny because. I love Fargo, but she's mm-hmm. right. I mean, if if you don't want to see a guy, you know, death by yeah. wood chipper, I mean, yeah, I, I guess you probably should be aware of that and some other things about that movie before you recommend it. I think right. maybe I'm such a Coen Brothers fan, I kind of forget. I mean, because there's safe movies like Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? or even Hail Caesar. It's, you know, yeah. no, there's nothing to warn, but I always forget about about, you know, this movie, Fargo, maybe No Country for yeah. Old Men's some of the movies yeah. that have like more shocking scenes. So, right. Even call. like burn, burn after reading, which is like oh, a comedy, yeah. but it, it has some like shocking deaths too. That's but like, true. it's, I think people who are really into like the craft of film, I think that we will sometimes forget just normal standards for like violence or sexual content or whatever. Cause for me, it's like, Oh wow, that film is so well made that that's what we are like recommending people for. But we don't, think of the normal stuff like does it have nudity in it or does it have violence in it yeah because because we're just like wow it's such a great film you should watch it that's like the film i had never seen it till recently but uh boogie nights had never seen it and i Mm -hmm. watched it and i mean i can't recommend that to most people (laughs) but it's like but it's such a good movie but this you know the subject matter and some of the things that happen it's like yeah you kind of have to have a general awareness of like okay who am i really recommending this to and how do i explain why i'm recommending it (laughs) so yeah Yeah. that that is something to to think about yeah yeah but i think a lot i think a lot of people can like this movie if they don't Mm -hmm. already know it i think it's definitely film fans need to watch it uh it's not just because it's my favorite movie i th- i honestly think it's like a type of a comedy that if you're a film fan you should check it out yeah and if you like character actors or side character movies this is like you know a, a big one because i feel that a lot of the characters in this movie would typically be a side character um literally actors that play supporting roles or actors that are just character actors and they're main characters in this movie so I think yeah. that's another cool angle. But yeah, yep. well, thank you so much. And thank you for being patient um, as I got back to you on a date. Uh, that we could <laughs> no record. problem. Really do appreciate having you on. Uh, loved having your perspective, especially since you are such a fan of the art of filmmaking. And uh, yeah, would love to have you back. Um, mention your podcast one more time. Where can people find you and how can they listen to it? Okay, sure. Thanks for inviting me. And yeah, mm-hmm. we're at um, the Justice League Universe Podcast. So we're on YouTube. Um, we also are on Twitter at JLU Podcast. Um, so yeah, if people are interested in the DCEU movies, uh, currently we're analyzing Wonder Woman, but we've already got a back catalog with Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad, and we are anxiously awaiting Justice League. Can't wait to get into that movie too. Ooh, I can't wait for that. Yeah, I, I, I have retweeted some of your episodes because I really do like your breakdowns and 
like specifically on the Wonder Woman one, I really liked when you talked about the angel aspect because I definitely got that vibe and it was very gratifying to hear uh, your explanations of that and how it's definitely there and why and just really enjoyed that. That was really cool. Cool. Thanks yeah. a lot. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much. Have a good one. You too. All right. Bye. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. I'm so sorry. I know I've been MIA for a while. It's just between getting ready for Dragon Con, attending Dragon Con, being sick for the past week or so, I've just gotten a little behind. Um, but I'm back. So yeah, I really enjoyed having Sam on as my guest. This was such a fun episode to prepare and record for. It was great chatting in depth about such a great film. Um, if you guys have any feedback on this episode or others, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at AYA Lisa Cosplay. I'm also on Instagram under AYA and as a Nancy AMI Lisa. Or you can reach us in our closed Facebook group called I Love That Movie. It's closed, but if you send me your request, I'll add you. It's just a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films judgment free. So my only rule is keep it positive. Um, if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. If you leave a positive review on iTunes, you will be entered to win a $20 gift card to a movie theater chain of your choice. Right now we're at 11 reviews and I'm going to draw once we get to 15. Everybody loves free money and it's my way of giving back to you guys for supporting me. Thank you so, so much again and I look forward to hearing from you. Bye.